Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Made on a budget of $800,000, Wake in Fright tells the story of a young school teacher who descends in a, to a personal moral degradation after finding himself stranded in a brutal, menacing town in outback Australia. For many years, Wake in Fright was enjoyed, enjoyed a reputation as Australia's great lost film because of its unavailability on VHS or DVD as well as its absence from television broadcast. But in mid-2009, uh, a thoroughly restored digital re-released uh, version was shown in Australian theaters to considerable acclaim, where it was later issued commercially on DVD and Blu-ray. And now we here in the United States have the great fortune to be able to see it on the big screen. Uh, it stars uh, Gary Bond, Donald Pleasance, and Chip Rafferty. The film is... Wake in Fright. The filmmaker is director Ted Kotcheff. Ted Kotcheff is joining us here today on Film School. Welcome to Film School, Ted. Hello. Hello, Mike. How are you? <laughs> oh, thank you for, for being here. Really appreciate you uh, for your time here and how much I enjoyed this film. Uh, had not even heard of it. I'm sorry to say not even heard of this until very, very recently. Um, tell me what it felt like for you as a filmmaker uh, to to have your film rediscovered uh, and to such acclaim here now, literally 40 years after it came out. Well, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely miraculous, Mike. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. I don't think many directors of the whole history of filmmaking have experienced anything like that in their <laughs> life. And uh, so um, I... Um, I, uh, the film, uh, you know, the film was lost for about thirty-five years. Yeah, they thought that it, nobody could find a negative, and so finally, my it was my editor who um, who uh, spent thirteen years of his life looking for the negative. Wow! <laughs> at his own at his own expense, and he traveled all over. Um, um, he traveled all over the, uh, the world. He went from, you know, at his own, as I say, he went from Australia to London, Dublin, New York, all at his own expense. My goodness. Well, he, what... was incredibly pers- he was incredibly persistent, and five years ago, he finally found it in a warehouse in Pittsburgh, of all places. Over 200 cans of negative tri-separations, inter-negatives, dialogue tracks, music tracks in two large containers. Wow. On the outside of the containers was written in big red letters, For Destruction. <laughs> Oh my God. Had he arrived only one week later, the negative would have been incinerated and the film gone forever. So you literally did not have your own copy or a, a, a theatrical kind of a of quality release for the film. No, I, no, no, no. I didn't have a copy of the film. No, I had a, a VHS. Oh my God. Of it, which wasn't very good, and had been taken directly off the uh, off the film. You know. Well, let, let's give this editor his due. His name is. Tony Buckley. Thank you. Tony Buckley. Congratulations to Tony. I'm sure you've raised a glass of champagne or two uh, to him oh, in, yes. in, in this time. Um, There's another man, Mike, that I'm going to thank. thank. Because mm-hmm. when they, however, having the native had not been looked after for 35 years, it was almost useless. So it was scratched, it was torn, it was badly faded. But another fan of the film, Anthos Simon of Deluxe Lab in Sydney, he spent two years of his own time using the latest digital techniques to save it and working frame by frame. He restored the negative to a pristine condition. 
the print that was made from it is absolutely astonishing. It, it is. is. That, this sorry. is a print that you're going to see at the New Art Cinema this week. Yes, that's right. Let, let's let our listeners know um, that you'll be there tonight. This is Friday, October 19th. Uh, you'll be there at the uh, 8.15 showing, or actually... Right. Yeah, eight fifteen showing tonight and tomorrow night. I don't want to commit and you to tomorrow an, night as well. And I, tomorrow night as well. Yeah. I didn't want to commit you to an extra night, but yes, there. <laughs> there <laughs> but there you go. Eight fifteen showing. So it'll be a Q and A. We'll be able. People will be able to talk to you about the film, the making of the film, and all. Yep. There's going to be. I'm going to introduce the film and talk about it, and then there's going to be a Q and A afterwards. Fantastic. I love the new art. I love at Landmark does so many great things, uh, and the new art is such a wonderful. A film lover's place to go because people who are there are they're you're they're going to be so into this film. Uh, I I can guarantee you it's it's again it, it for American film uh, audiences it looks to to someone who's not that familiar with Australian film it looks a lot like Mad Max. It's filmed in the outback as well as I believe uh, Mad Max was, but it's not Mad Max. Do not do not no. misunderstand me when I say that. But it'll look like that when you first start to uh, watch it. But it's it's its own character. The Outback in this film is is as much a character as is uh, uh, anyone else. And um, I wanted to know about the story itself. Let's get a little bit into the genesis of how Wake and Fright came to be. What would, what was the inspiration for it? Well, I I was living in London at the time, and in 1969, a close friend of mine, screenwriter Evan Jones, we had done a film together about the racial situation in London at the time, and then he, but but anyway, he, Evan Jones came to me and said, Ted, I've been hired to write a screenplay of an Australian book, Wake and Fright, by Kenneth Cook. He handed me a copy of the book, and he said, uh, read it. This is right up your alley, A Lost Week in the Outback. I don't know why he thought it was right up my alley, but he <laughs> did. He knew me. I guess he knew me very well. Yeah. Anyway, he was right about Wake and Fright. I responded to its theme, its central character, its intense atmosphere very, very strongly. Um, I was a bit, bit trepidatious at first about making a film about a world I knew so little about. However, being a Canadian, when I arrived in Australia, I discovered that the outback was not that dissimilar to northern Canada, the same vast, empty spaces that paradoxically are not liberating, but claustrophobic and imprisoning. Yeah. And in both, there was the identical hyper-masculine society. I used to describe Canada as Australia on the rocks. <laughs> but <laughs> but what, the thing that attracted me uh, about to the subject, Mike, is, it's, is one common element that, that seems to haunt my film is people who don't know themselves. Uh-huh. The school teacher in Wake and Fright has no idea who he is and what he's capable of when he's put under extreme circumstances. Yeah. And because I think there's human the human ambivalence on the dark side of our character, and which sometimes appears beneath the cultured veneer that we all possess. Um, I think there's a Yahoo in all of us. Yeah, we're all capable of things morally wrong. Yes, we are. I think, I think you're right. I think absolutely. Yeah, and it, it is interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, Gary Bond, who plays uh, the lead in this, the part of John Grant. Um, Quite striking uh, performance. Uh, very, very good. Um, did you know of his work? And by the way, he looks to me in, in, a, a bit like a young Peter O'Toole. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what, did, in casting him in this role? Did, well, what happened is that so Gary Bond um, had, had done no films at all, I think, after that time, or, yeah. or maybe a very small part in one film, I think. But... He was a big star in the West End theaters, and I, I saw him in Evita, the musical Evita. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what an actor. And he's handsome, and, he, and he's a, just very subtle. 
And I think his performance is amazing, and, yeah. and, uh, amazingly uh, amazing performance in the, my film. And that's that's how I, I cast him by see, having seen him in in, in the theater. Well, well, let's go. I I got a little sidetracked. So John Grant is a a middle uh, school is a middle school teacher uh, in uh, in the Outback, and th- an interesting twist, which it's a nice little play on it works in the film very well which in order to get this job he had to put up a personal bond his own money (laughs) because apparently there's a lot of uh uh, desertion when when people get out there so this is sort of is the impetus for what happens in the film so he's going to sydney on vacation to looks like meet a a a woman friend and his his girlfriend and on the train trip they stop in the yaba and it goes from there (laughs) So yes, um, he, he, he's going to catch a plane, yes. and he has a chance to. He goes. He goes to a gambling school. By the way, this, uh, I used to go there, and uh, we shot this film. Um, we shot this film, Mike, in a town called Broken Hill. Okay. And that was actually the basis of the of of the of the book too. Okay. It's called Bundanyaba, but um, and there's nothing to do in that town. The men outnumber the women three to one, Mike. Yeah. And I think part of the reason we I think men get in the trouble there is I think they just go for lack of any female presence makes the men crazy but um and there's no brothels either anyway but so they they do a lot of they drink and they fight and they shoot kangaroos and they gamble <clears throat> so he our, our hero gets uh gets caught up in uh, in gambling and suddenly sees my god i could maybe win my money and get the get out of this place by buying back my bond yeah but of course there was the as you know as you might guess the reverse happens that he gets stuck there and is it and is it the and then at the, as, uh, at the mercy of all the people there, all the men in the town. <laughs> and, and there's some great uh, markers along the way in, in Wake and Fright. By the way, we're speaking with uh, Ted uh, Kotcheff, the director of uh, Wake and Fright. Or it was, ref- or it was titled way back, uh, the Outback, which was, I think, that was an American release title, was it not? The uh, Yes, uh, I mean, that was... Um, yeah. What happened was that... Um, when, when the film was the film went to the Cannes Film Festival, yes, and it was a big success there because the French love the the whole thing of men under existential stress and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it was a bit when it was played in um, in Australia. I think the Australians were a bit taken aback um, by the depiction of the Aussie male. And Jack Thompson told me that one screening, a, cine- a man rose up in the cinema and pointed to the screen and yelled out, "This is not us!" <laughs> and another voice, and another voice cried out, "Sit down, you fool! It is us!" <laughs> anyway, had, and then after the Cannes Festival, um, United Artists, who were distributors, uh, uh, changed, decided to change the title, and from from uh, Wake and Fright to Outback. And I said, "Outback! It sounds like a National Geographic documentary." Yeah. Please, yeah. please, let's go back. And they said, I said, what's the matter with Wake and Fright? They said, well, it sounds like a Hitchcock film. Yeah. And I said, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in America, under the title Outback, it got superb reviews from the likes of Pauline Kael and Christopher Isherwood, the novelist, and others. Rex Reed chose it as one of the ten best films in 1971. Uh. But as I say, the United Artists, the distributors, didn't believe in the film at all. They said to me, no, Mary, no, no, Ted. No, no, no. No Americans are going to come to see this film. So they opened it without any publicity whatsoever in a small cinema in New York on a Sunday night in a heavy blizzard. Oh, my goodness. So 
So as you can imagine, no, nobody came. So th- and then United Artists said to me, we told you nobody would come. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my <laughs> distributors, goodness. <laughs> distributors, Mike, are very good at self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> I guess they are. <laughs> well, now, now, fortunately, in addition to the film critics you mentioned, uh, Pauline Kael and others, you also had a champion for this film, which uh, I re- uh, is, and, and let's give him credit, he has really stepped up on just not in, not on Wake and Wake and Fright, but other films. And so tell us a little bit about the, the gentleman sitting behind you at the Cannes screening in 1971. <laughs> well, you know, in 1971, the film was at the festival, and, and the day of the, it was in competition for the Palme d'Or. And uh, the day of the screening at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the, I sat in my, the director's chair. There's a special chair for the director. It's right in the center of the, of the front row of the balcony. And um, the jury, 11-member jury, came in, and we bowed to each other, and it started. Uh-huh. And suddenly there's a voice behind me saying, Wow! Wow! What a scene! Jeez! This is great! <laughs> and he kept making all these... Sounds of approbation, which of course are music to a director's ear. You know? yeah. <laughs> didn't disturb my, didn't disturb me. I'd seen it six hundred times, and I listened to this, and he kept, and finally, I won't tell you what the climax yeah. is, but at the time it was a way out there. Yes, it's still a bit way out there now, but it's a way. It certainly, was a way out in, in 1971. I can tell you, and he said, "This this director, he, he's going to go all the way. <laughs> he's, he's going to go all the way. Oh my God, he went all the way. Oh my God, it's great." It's And uh, so, finally, the film's over, and I get up and I look up and I see this young American, and he had to be a director, a producer, a writer, because in that area, the only people in the business are allowed to sit there. Mm-hmm. I, I just glanced at him, and I went outside. I went to the UA pub PR guys, and I said, "There was a guy sitting behind me, an American." And I said, "He was." I said, "It's unusual being an American because they're usually they're Italians or French or Germans or something." And I said, "Do you know who he was?" They said, "No." I said, "Oh, there he is. He's just coming out of the cinema now." I said, oh, yeah, yeah, he's an American director. He's only done one film at flop totally. He's, he's, no, he's of no interest to you. I said, well, I'd like to know his name. His name wouldn't mean anything to you. Well, what do you want to know his name? Just give me his name. <laughs> so he turns to the other guy, do you know his name? He said, yeah, it's an Italian name, uh, Martin Scorsese. I said, you're right, I've never heard of him. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, anyway, I, I then, then... <laughs> Um, when the film was lost and rediscovered, and rediscovered, and a new print was made, there was a request from the Cannes Film Festival to see this new print. So we sent it to him. We sent it to the Cannes Film Festival, yeah. and they declared it to be a Cannes classic, and screened it twice. Only two films have ever been screened twice at the Cannes Film Festival: Michelangelo's Antonioni's uh, La Ventura and my film. Guess who is head of the Cannes Classics Department? <laughs> well, go <Yeah>. ahead. <laughs> That's right. Marty. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. Yeah, there you go. My goodness. And even now, this guy is just amazing. Um, I'll tell you an amusing story. I, went, I finally met, met him at a Oscar party two years ago, and I walked over to him, and he was sitting with De, De Niro. And I said, you know, I said, I got it. I've written to you, and I've, I've never met you. I just want to thank you so much for your, your support of this film. He says, well, easy for me to support such a great film. Oh. And, and I said, and I, and I, told, I told De Niro about how, how he was talking through the film when, he, when we first met. Yeah. He said, yeah, Ted. Martin, he, he, he talks through everybody's film. <laughs> 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 but anyway, right, even to this day, Mike, he, 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 
he the um, Draft House Films were distributing the film, yes. phoned him and said, would you give us a quote? And he gave him a fantastic quote, he, which they've used and put it on the poster. He Yes, and I I had it in front of me, and now I can't... But yes, it's a great quote. And, and and it's Martin Scorsese loves this film, but also, uh, and the critics this time around are, are 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 singing its praises as well. And the New York Observer called it maybe the finest Australian film of all time, made by a Canadian. I know you got a little pushback initially. That was part of the pushback, maybe when the film came out, that a, that a non-Canadian, I mean a non-Australian, had made this amazing film about Australia. Uh, but it, yeah, it's uh, it's just so I've I. This film has stuck with me. I saw it probably three or four weeks ago. Seen it um, since then again a second time. A very powerful film and and very raw. The film is a very the emotions are all on the surface. Uh, Donald Pleasance is remarkable. I've never I I think this is the best role I've ever seen Donald Pleasance in. Um, that must have been exciting to see that that performance and what you're talking about. We're not going to give anything away, but his character and the interaction with John Grant, Gary Bond's character, as the film progresses, takes on so many different dimensions that are reflected in so many other places in the film. This male, this sort of male tension, if you will, I'll call it sexual mm-hmm. tension, if you want. But yep. there is that, and it's play, and it plays out in all these different ways, and and and. And I feel I honestly felt hot and dusty watching this movie. I, I mean, it really comes off the screen in a way that, as as I said, it's really stuck with me. And my congratulations to you on that. Okay, can I tell you one little thing yeah, that I course. did? One trick that I did. Uh, yes, Mike. Yes, I uh, I said, of course, I wanted you to feel the heat. First of all, I said to the to the set designer. And the costume people, I said, I don't want any cool colors. I don't want to see a single blue or green on the screen. It's all got to be brown, yeah, red, right. yellow, burnt sienna, but no cool colors. And I said, and secondly, I had them bring in a big barrel of red dust from the outback. Ah. Uh, and when we were shooting in the interiors, yeah. I would use one of those fly things, you know, where you, you, you pump, you pump uh uh, stuff, yeah. uh, and, and I put it in, and I pumped every before every take. I would pump red dust into the air, and it would settle on things and just hang sometimes, as as it did in the outback. I wasn't faking it. Uh, and the other thing, I I brought in hundreds of sterilized houseflies. Oh my god! I oh, would release go. them before the take, because everywhere there, you know, it, was, it used to drive me nuts if I was eating anything or drinking, like as soon as I opened my mouth to say to raise a coffee cup, a fly would enter my mouth and I'd swallow it. Right. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And in the, in the film, first of all, the, the opening shot, being on the train, uh, getting off in, in Yaba, uh, in the crowded bars, uh, in your, he's in the, in that, uh, I'll say cafe where they're cooking up the steaks. Everybody, it's, it, the <laughs> film feels hot. Every, just about everywhere you go, you, you it's, Really, almost relentlessly that way throughout the film, uh, and the oh, only way they get relief is to drink beer, which also exacerbates this sort of male, what I don't know, what you just that crazy male over overdrive, if you will. Well, I um, I uh, I wanted you to. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that's what what when I was out there, it drove me mad. But I think certainly out there, one thing that, that puts tremendous pressure on, on the men out there is, is exactly all that, the heat and the dust and the flies and the lack of women. And, yeah. And they, always, and, and they always want to fight, you know, can I tell you one here an amusing story? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, when I was making that film, I looked like a 60s hippie. 
I had a handlebar mustache, and my hair was down to my the middle of my back. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, when when you know that there's a great pub in in the in the picture with a, a 30 foot beer bottle on top of it. Yes, that's a real pub. Okay. And I, and I was looking for it. I said, oh, look at that over there. Let's go over there. Let's go see it. So we drive across the outback. It was about 30 or 40 miles outside of Broken Hill. Mm-hmm. And it was a Sunday, and it was a surrounded by 40 cars. And it was 110 in the shade, no shade. And I said, let's go. And uh, there's a woman in every car. Women were not allowed to go into the pubs. Right. So, and... Uh, and you could hear you could hear their husbands and their brothers and their lovers all making all making drunken rowdy noises inside. And uh, I thought I said to the location manager, hey, "Let's go inside quick, <laughs> and I'll see if we can use the inside as well as uh-huh. the outside." Uh-huh. I says, uh, "Ted, uh, let's come back tomorrow." He said, "Look, they don't like outsiders around here, and especially outsiders that look like you." I said, "What? They're going to hit charming old Ted Kotcheff? No way! I'm going inside whether you you come or not." So I says, "Your funeral," he says. So I walk inside. And I walked in, and it was like a scene out of a John Ford Western. Uh-huh. I walked in, and 40 drunken, the whole room went silent. 40 pairs of drunken eyes gazed at me. Uh-huh. Then they went back to talking, and I ordered a schooner of ale, and uh, there was a guy about five feet from me. And uh, he kept looking at my long hair and my mustache saying, Shit! <laughs> uh-huh. And then, um, then finally he said, Hello, Stalin. And I didn't say anything. I just kind of rose my beer. And he put his jaw right up to me. And he said again in a voice that quietened the whole room, I said, hello, Stalin. Which the response was, who the hell are you calling Stalin Biff? Because they always want to fight. Yeah. Um, But I said to him, listen, I'd love to talk to you, but I'm dead. (laughs) And he first... Then he got it. He started to laugh. And the whole room got it. And they all started to laugh. And he said, I love a bloke with a sense of humor. Give this man a pint of beer. <laughs> then I became their friend. And I was about six. Not after half an hour, I was six pints behind him. Never seen people drink beer that speed, uh, Ken. I'm oh, like, I know. Never. And uh, anyway, they became my friends, these sex guys. And they're mates. When they make you a mate, that's it forever. You're bonded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. And I, I went, I would go sometimes, I, obviously, since I didn't know that world, I wanted to do, I did my little observations and investigations, and I'd go at, at night, I'd go into the uh, pubs, and, and um, always somebody's come up to me and said, come on, let's fight. And I said, I, I don't want to fight you. I have no quarrel with you, mate. I'm not going to fight you. Oh, yes, come on, let's fight. And he put his jaw right up to my, right up to my face, inviting me to hit him. And then suddenly a voice would go, hey, Joe, you leave Ted alone. He's my mate. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Alan. Oh, Teddy, how t- can I buy you a beer? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> they, whenever, wherever I went, Mike, they were making sure that I was okay. Well, well, that I, was the good. That's the good side of mateship. The he, other side is he, not so good. Yeah, and I, I think that speaks to that sort of that tension that uh, you feel uh, it, that their way of letting off that sort of testosterone. Uh, is this sort of fighting is more of a an act of I would say an act of a total affection, but but it is a way of letting that that kind of tension out. And well, not not just that, uh, Mike. Mm-hmm. The thing is that there's no women there. Now I I grew up on the streets of Toronto in Canada, and my some of the guys who used to like used to fight get in. He said, "Ted, you know how you win a street fight?" I say, "No, how do you win a street fight?" He says, "You start it." And, 
and I found that when I was when these guys came up to me in in in, in Broken Hill and wanted me to fight them, they they stuck their jaw right in front of me. Well, I could have just broken their jaw with one swipe, you know, right. and then kicked them in the nuts afterwards. Right, right. But he didn't. They didn't want. The point was they didn't want to hit me. They wanted me to hit them. Yeah, yeah. That it was a curious kind of. Uh, I, I got that. Uh, there's a scene. In, uh, I put it in, in actually a scene in the picture like that. That uh, they wanted. They they wanted. Yeah. Every one of us needs human contact. Yeah. And if there's no women, you just uh, you just it's not homosexual, but but there is a homoerotic quality. But they wanted me. They wanted to feel yeah. human flesh. Right. I, and when you got it by fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, this is a remarkable film. I am honored, truly honored to have you on here today, Ted. The film Good. is Wake and Fright. Uh, Ted Kotcheff is going to be at the uh, the New Art Theater. That's right off the 405 there um, uh, at Santa Monica Boulevard. I believe it's Santa Monica Boulevard. It's Santa Monica Boulevard, yeah, right. That, and uh, at, at the 815 showing tonight, uh, this is Friday, uh, October uh, 19th, and also tomorrow night, Saturday night, at the New at the New Art. It's uh, Go see it. Uh, it's a jolt. This film is a jolt and, uh, and fun and... Uh, well made and i again thank you for being here wake and fright is the film filmmaker ted kotcheff thank you so much thank you mike it was a pleasure to talk to you take care bye 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 you've been listening to film school radio the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films you can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com i'm your host mike kaspar Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.